Hey, smart mamas. Welcome to the Scrub Caps and Sippy Cups podcast, a podcast about balancing mom life and work life and everything in between. Being a mama is a hard job. We are three nurse anesthetists reaching out to support and encourage other moms with hectic and chaotic lives. I want to be a nurse anesthetist. No topics are off limits. Relationships, finance, mental health, work. And we aren't sugarcoating anything. No way or way. This is real life, real moms, real advice. And we want this to be interactive. We want to hear from you, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Hey, Smart Mamas, this is Lacey, and today we have a very special episode for you. This comes with a trigger warning that it's an emotional and sensitive topic. We have a special guest who is dedicated to opening up and bringing light to the topic of perinatal mood disorders. We highlight how to identify the symptoms before it's too late. This is a topic that affects many, many people in our country. Approximately 70 to 80% of women who will experience at minimum the baby blues and 10 to 20% of women in their postpartum period will experience a perinatal mood disorder. So thank you so much for tuning in. If you or anyone you know has struggled with this topic, please reach out to the resources listed in the show notes. So Smart Mamas, we are coming to you again. It is Ellen and Lacey and Crystal, and we are bringing you another amazing topic that we work so hard on coming from the recommendations from you guys and what you really want to hear and topics that come up constantly in our group. So today we are going to hit on a topic that is very close to many of us. And if not you yourself, I'm sure that you have somebody that you know that has experienced some form of postpartum anxiety, postpartum depression, or postpartum psychosis, or anywhere else on the spectrum. So kind of a trigger warning here for anybody that has gone through this. This episode is going to be a resource for you. So we're going to present you with different contacts and facilities and names and just places for you to turn when it feels like you've got nowhere to go. Okay. So we have a very special guest, somebody who's had a personal experience with this. We have changed her name to protect her and her anonymity, but please let's welcome Chloe to talk about her experiences with postpartum depression. Hi, everybody. Hey, Chloe. Thanks for hopping on with us today. Oh, you're welcome. We basically want to, I guess, let you kind of take the wheel with this today because it's hard when you're telling a personal experience to have to field questions, especially when people are asking you questions without knowing exactly how you were feeling or any of that. So why don't you just give us kind of a brief overview of how many kids you have and did you have any kind of similar experience in the past with your first pregnancy or I'm not even sure how many kids you have. So if you could tell us about that. All right. Um, Well, currently I have two little girls. Harper is three years old and Lily is nine months old. When I had Harper, she was a little bit of a difficult baby. She didn't sleep great. She woke me up every few hours. Um, I went back to work. Um, I was working full time as a CRNA at the time. So 40 plus hours a week. I went back to work at about eight to nine weeks postpartum because we needed my income. I had enough paid time off to cover that. And then I ran out of money and my husband's job wasn't paying great at the time. So I went back. She was waking me up every few hours. Um, you know, in retrospect, I I definitely had some, I would call it mild to moderate postpartum depression with her. But within maybe, you know, three to four months as she got older, started to sleep better, got more interactive, it it went away on its own. Um, I didn't, I didn't go to anybody. I didn't really admit to anybody that I had it. My mom made the mention that she thought I might have it. And I was like, I just brushed it off. Like, no, 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 I'm fine. It'll be fine. I'm just going to get through it. But you know, the whole time I just remember feeling like when I was on maternity leave, like, you know, I'm supposed to be super happy and I'm supposed to love this. And I, and I don't, and it, just made me feel incredibly guilty that 
I wasn't doing better. But it, as she got older, like I said, it, it went away. And so I just kind of brushed it off. And then, you know, we decided to try to have another child. And looking back on it, my I think my postpartum depression started while I was pregnant with her because my, my daughter, my older daughter at the time, Harper, was bringing home every cold under the sun home from her school. And I was getting them horribly because I was pregnant, compromised immunity, and I couldn't hardly take anything. <laughs> A lot of cold medicines I couldn't take because I was pregnant. So I was sick all the time. I was had pretty bad nausea and vomiting early on. And so I think like my sleep deprivation started like in the last four months of my pregnancy. Oh, I, saw, I also had horrible, horrible heartburn. Um, and I just maybe slept a couple hours a night. And so that was me going into labor with her. I was already horribly sleep deprived and probably a little already anxious and depressed. Um, and then I actually think I went into labor with her because I coughed so hard. I was like on the tail end of a horrible cold and I just coughed, 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 like felt like my ribs were breaking. And then maybe an hour later I started to go into labor. So who knows? But anyway, then she was born. Lily was born. And, you know, not only did I have another baby who was not the easiest, cried for hours in the evening, inconsolable, didn't sleep great. And then I also had a two-year-old who was, you know, upset that she had a new sister, you know, having problems of her own, was very, very sick um, early on when the baby was born, and then got her sick as well. And so, you know, the the postpartum depression set in really quick with Lily, much quicker than with Harper, and it was much worse. And I think it was definitely coupled with a fair amount of anxiety. I was just, you know, I got worried about my milk supply. I got worried about my older daughter. I just basically worried about everything. And it got to the point where even when Lily got a little older, like six or seven weeks old, and maybe started giving me some five-hour stretches here and there, I, I would wake up checking on her to make sure she was okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I remember those days where they sleep just a little bit longer than you think, and then you're like, oh, you're, you wake up before them, and then you're like running in there. Yeah. Right, right. Well, at the time, I was still sleeping in the room with her. With with both our children, we kind of thought, oh, you know, for the first three months, we, like I slept, I would sleep in the room with them. It just made it easier. Like they would be in their little crib, and I had a mattress on the floor. But um, but yeah, my also my boobs would usually wake me up first too because they were. <laughs> yeah, I'd wake up and like, oh my gosh, I have rocks in my chest. Oh my gosh, <laughs> it's been five hours. Um. <laughs> But it wasn't just that. It was it was above and beyond, like, just like, oh, you know, is she okay? It's more like, oh, my gosh, she's not breathing. And then, like, I couldn't get back to sleep. And so you take those four or five months where I had was sleep-deprived, and then now you add a couple more months of more sleep deprivation. And, I mean, I just remember saying to one of my friends, like, I I want like one of my coworkers to come over and like hook me up to some propofol and just let me sleep in a propofol coma for like a week. Like that's what I wanted. Yeah. Like I just, or I just wanted to transport myself to an Island and just sleep on a comfy bed. Like I just wanted to sleep and I, well, I just couldn't. So what other symptoms were you experiencing? The sleep deprivation and the like need to find sleep in any way possible but like what other symptoms were you feeling I mean I just I was I was incredibly unhappy you know I wasn't enjoying almost anything you know everything just sent me into a panic if the baby didn't get x amount of sleep each day it threw me into a panic if one little thing went wrong like I, I just couldn't handle it and nothing really brought me much joy like I just felt like oh my god like this is horrible. I'm just going to try to get through this. And I kind of had that background where with Harper, I got through it. So I thought, well, I will get through it again. And, you know, my mom told me again, she's like, you really, I mean, you've, you had postpartum depression before. Now I think it's much worse. Like you should really see someone. And, and how old was your baby at this point? Uh, probably about six weeks. 
Okay, because that's about the time that most people have a, like six to eight weeks is about the time most people have a postpartum visit. Yeah. Right. So, yes. And so I had I had a um, postpartum doctor's appointment at six weeks. I remember them giving me a questionnaire that was, gosh, I don't know, six questions. It wasn't much. And I just flat out lied on it because for one thing, I had to bring uh, Lily with me to the appointment. She was screaming. I was just like trying to get in and get out. Like to me, I did not have time to deal with my problems. And that's, and that's what I did at that visit. You know, they said, Oh, are you doing okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Whatever. And, and I mean, they were just like, you know, they were busy too. They wanted to see me be, be on to the next patient. I'm not saying that they didn't care, but they don't, they didn't go, much out of the way. I understand what you're saying. You know what I'm saying? They didn't dig deeper. They accepted. You said you were fine and they accepted that. Right. And I mean, I also think I I can be a pretty good, I don't know if I want to say actress, but like I can kind of conceal for a short time. So I probably to them, I appeared okay. But I mean, I'm just trying to get out of there. My, you know, my baby's screaming her head off in the car seat. I just was so embarrassed. I just wanted to get out of there. And so... But again, like I just felt, okay, I, I have a baby, a new baby. I have a toddler. My husband's really busy with his job. Like when, where on earth am I going to find time to see somebody about like, I'll just be fine. I'll get through it. And yeah. so that's just what I told myself. So I just want to backtrack a little bit. So looking back, are you, are we saying all of this now with hindsight or in the moment, did you also understand like with your first pregnancy, when your mom pointed out you had a problem and you said you brushed her off, did you brush her off because you didn't have the time to deal with it? Um, or did you brush her off because you thought like, Oh no, that's not me. It can't be me or, you know, whatever, just with your first pregnancy. And then with your second one, when you started recognizing the symptoms again, did you recognize them or were you just so caught up with all of this happening that you didn't even like put the pieces together? Because I could see how that happens. As mm-hmm. well. So with the first one, I, 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 I kind of, you know, got the sense that I was not as happy as I should be, but I kind of thought, well, you know, she's going to get older, it's going to get easier. And it did. So that was fine. You know, I accepted that. So I think at that point I totally, I was like, yeah, she's probably right, but I don't think it's that bad. And, and it wasn't cause I, I really did get, get over it just fine. Now with the, with Lily, I think I knew it was worse, but I don't think I fully grasped how bad it was until I could look back on it. So I think it was a bit of a combo. Can I ask you, Chloe, when your mom pointed out with both pregnancies that she thought you were depressed is there something she noticed specifically that made her think that or just because she knows you she's your mom I mean I think she could just see a marked change in me and she could see you know she was with me a lot because they live very uh, my parents live very close to us and um, they she helped out pretty much every day so she saw kind of the day to the day-to-day thing and she could just see how anxious I was how unhappy I seemed and like I just didn't you know in the first few months of both of my children's lives I don't think I felt like a hundred percent bonded to them and breastfeeding like I viewed it as like oh my god you know I have to breastfeed again this is such a chore I hate it and she's like I don't understand like to her when she had me and my brother breastfeeding was like everything to her. She said she got like warm, fuzzy feelings and all these things. And so her experience, postpartum experience was 180 degree difference than mine. And I felt that made me feel even worse. Like, oh my God. Now in in comparing them, she was a stay at home mom. You shouldn't have to worry about going back to work. So there was some differences, but you know, I just felt so like, oh my God, there's something horribly wrong with me that I'm not feeling this way. And I think to her, it was like, how could she not be feeling this way? Yeah. So needless to say, I'm sure you felt if you even did come out and say how you were feeling, you'd get so judged that it probably kept you even more from. Well, yeah, because to her, she had no understanding of it. And then like my husband has a very high stress job, like he just, and he wouldn't get it. He's not a woman. So like I had... I had nobody I could really talk to about it. Chloe, this really resonates with me, and that's probably why I'm so emotional about it all. But 
I had this, some of the same feelings as you, and I had severe postpartum anxiety, and now that I'm looking back, probably postpartum depression, but uh, my friend that had a baby at the same time also breastfeeding, and I, I hated it. It was so hard, but I did it because you have to do it, right? Right. And my friend, uh, she goes, do you get, like, do you, like, get warm and tingly when she breastfeeds? I was like, no, I feel like I have knives stabbing my nipples. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And she's like, well, I, people talk about the baby blues. I get the baby happies. And I was like, I, I don't, I didn't have I that. I hate you right now. I, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's exactly what it was like talking to my mom. She's like, oh my gosh, this, this warm glowing feeling came over me. And I'm like, okay. That's, like, that's I actually. This, I get this oh, feeling like I cannot wait for this to be over. Like I hate this. Those glowing feelings are a rush of oxytocin. And some people are more sensitive than others. And some people have different hormone levels in stimulation. So yeah. it's some people feel it and some don't. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I don't know like how much of it is, did my stress kind of inhibit oxytocin from being released or like, you know, what came first? I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, I ended up switching to formula with Lily and like, I love giving her bottles. I love that I'm not breastfeeding right now. I mean, it sounds horrible, but it's, it's the case. Like, with Harper, I did it for a full year, um, just over a year, working full time. I don't know how I did that. Once I didn't have to do that anymore, it did make things easier. Yeah, it's funny. Looking back, so my question to you is, do you have any history of any other um, anxiety or depression before pregnancy? Because the reason I ask is I definitely went through with my first a thousand percent. I went through postpartum anxiety and probably a mild to moderate depression. And the only reason I realized something was wrong was because I normally am an extremely happy, like positive person to the point where I was sitting there and I remember this like it was yesterday. I was sitting in his room rocking him and he was two weeks old and I was staring at the wall and I remember thinking to myself, I understand why people kill themselves. And I know that that's so awful to say, but that moment scared the crap out of me because before that, I used to always say, I can't understand how you get to a point where you literally think killing yourself is the answer. And in that moment, I, I said it to myself out loud and I was like, oh God, something's wrong because- I, like, I remember I had an empty look in my eyes and I kept thinking, this is never going to end. I'm drowning. I'm never going to get out of this. I feel like I'm suffocating. Like, it was so unlike me that that is why I realized something was wrong. And I, you know, reached out. But I sometimes I wonder, like, if you have a history of it, is it not as scary when it happens maybe it doesn't like frighten you as much because it scared the crap out of me to feel that way um I mean I probably my my most of my life I've probably been a little more anxious than your average person you know I mean like most other CRNAs I'm pretty type a (laughs) a little OCD but I wouldn't say I ever had major depression problems so it you know in in retrospect it was a fair different a fair bit different than my normal personality but I just kind of thought well you know it will be it will be temporary and then I'm going to feel better it's going to be okay because with my first it was temporary Mm -hmm. so I just thought you know and I thought gosh you know this is my second child I should know what I'm doing better right but but it it turns out like to have taking care of a toddler and, and a newborn is just in a whole nother league like I could not do it And I felt like a failure because I couldn't. Millions, thousands, whatever of women out there are doing it just fine. And here I am, like, I can't get anything done in a day. Like, and I was like, how on earth am I supposed to go back to work? Like, it just, I was, yeah, I felt completely overwhelmed, completely like I was drowning. And I didn't, I didn't know, I had no one to talk to about it. I was embarrassed by it. I felt very embarrassed. So if you were looking at somebody now who looked just like you did several months ago, or I I don't know exactly when this happened, a year ago, two years ago, you know, if you were looking at someone who looked like you did then, what would you tell them? I mean, I, more than anything, I would tell them they need, they need to seek some kind of treatment or help because I, I believe that if I had gotten help sooner, it would have benefited me immensely. And I would tell them, 
that once they do seek help, they would realize how many more people there are out there that go through this. But like myself, you know, they, they keep it hidden because it's embarrassing. It's something that a lot of people don't want to talk about, especially, you know, women that are intelligent and have a career. And it's like, gosh, you know, we have, we need to be super mom and we need to be perfect. And we, you know, we have to, you know, buy those little chalkboards that say, my name is so-and-so and I have two feet, you know, you know, I never did any of that crap. So, um, so and face, you know, Facebook, there's the social media, yes. it really perpetuates this, that we have to get the cute little picture at one month, two month, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I, I can't even like function. I can't even get meals on the table. Like, how am I supposed to be doing all this and look at so-and-so, you know, she does this, this, and this, and like, I can't even compare. So what kind of help would you recommend she seek? Call her OBGYN, call psychologists, like where, where would someone start? So I think for a lot of people, starting with your OBGYN, because they can point you in directions of um, either if you need an inpatient unit, they can point you in that direction. If you need a type of like outpatient unit where you kind of go during the day, but come home at night. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of it depends on where you are geographically. You know, some areas have a lot more resources than others. Has seen a therapist that specializes in perinatal mood disorders, seen some kind of psychiatric provider, whether it be a nurse practitioner or an actual psychiatrist that specializes in perinatal mood disorders. Um, I think OBGYNs are the ones who tend to know those things. They can usually point you in the right direction. If someone would have said to me, you should do outpatient or inpatient treatment, I would have said, you're out of your mind. I like, I don't have time for that. How do you convince yourself that it's okay and that it's for your best interest? Yeah, that's, that's a really tough one because, I mean, for one thing, there are very few inpatient units that are specific to perinatal mood disorders. There's really only a handful in the whole country. And so the main one is um, UNC Chapel Hill in North Carolina. Um, They have a five bed unit. It's very small, pretty much always full of um, where it's just women with perinatal mood disorders. But I think kind of telling these women that, you know, if you don't get intensive help, really scary, awful things can happen to you, to your family. And really the average length of stay at a place like that is usually about one to two weeks. I mean, it seems like a long time, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not. You can have, there's many, many times throughout the day in a unit like that where your baby can come visit you, your family can come visit you. So you're not totally cut off, but. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I think the, I think the problem is, the nice thing about a unit like that is, for one thing, your nighttime sleep is 100%. In that one, for example, from 10 p.m. until not, um, 8 a.m., you, you, it's protected sleep time. Nobody bothers you. That is your time. Whereas if you're at home, you know, you're up with the baby every two hours. But the problem with a place like that is you have to have someone who can watch your newborn baby for you. Right. So that's not always uh, feasible. So, I mean, really, I think overall, like being, being at an actual inpatient or outpatient center is, you know, not going to fly for everybody and might be reserved for the more moderate to severe, you know, the majority of people who have mild to moderate, you know, seeing a specialized therapist and a psychiatrist, maybe weekly at first and then space it out or, and, or going to um, either online or in-person support groups. So something is better than nothing, obviously. Um, And like you said, I think the main thing for people is we carry such guilt as moms. Even if you're going through postpartum of any sort on the spectrum, you still carry guilt, at least for your family. And you think, well, if I leave, who's going to do this? And who's going to take care of the baby? And who's going to put food on the table? And who's going to do the laundry? I can't leave and take care of myself. No one's going to survive without me. And the thing is, if you don't survive, they definitely won't survive. So I, I think that's the biggest barrier for women is putting themselves first and having the support system to allow for that and to really tell people like, listen, I have a problem, a really big problem I need to handle. So, you know, doing that. And like you said, if they can't get to an inpatient, at least doing outpatient 
in a support group and talking to your OBGYN and maybe getting on the medications, something is better than nothing. And just willing it away, I mean, does not work, especially when you like, like you said, the, the not sleeping, sleep deprivation has been proven so many times over to create delusions and really make people hallucinate and send them over the edge. And this mm-hmm. is before you mix it with any kind of perinatal mood disorder. So right. um, it's just so important to put ourselves first. But like you said, you know, we're giving this advice, but when somebody told you to go get help, you were like, I don't have time for it. So what do you think would have made you go? Do you think there's anything or what would get through to somebody? I think if, if I had been given like some more information about perinatal mood disorders, maybe some actual like stories from people and, and to see the stories of people similar to myself, I would have been like, Oh my God, that could happen to me. You know, cause I ended up reading some really good books, you know, after things were really bad. And I was like, gosh, you know, would this book have saved me before? I mean, you know, hard to say, but it, it but I'm, it's hard because it's like, how do you find out about those books if you, you know, don't have time for them? But um, there are some really good books out there. So can you tell us, you did mention that there's some good online resources too. Can you kind of uh, share with our listeners the resources you found most helpful? So like what were the best like online resources that you went to? And then what were the books that you read that made the biggest impact? And we'll put these in the show notes for you ladies. Great. So I'd say the best group is um, Postpartum Support International, usually called PSI. They are present in, I mean, basically every area of this country and most most decent sized cities even have a local chapter. um, And I found a local chapter where I live. Also, they have an online um, perinatal mood disorder group. It meets every Tuesday night at 6.30 uh, p.m. Eastern time. And they suggest you give $5. You can or you can't. And it's led by a moderator who's usually a therapist or in some way specialized in uh, perinatal mood disorders. They've usually undergone a certificate program that PSI has. And then it's, it's usually about, I'd say, five to 12 women who have gone through some kind of perinatal mood disorder. And you guys just get to kind of talk about, oh, you know, what would you like to ask other people about? You know, what's been going on this week? And what have you done this week to take care of yourself? And then also at the beginning of each meeting, the moderator kind of talks about resources and talks like kind of does some education about specific perinatal mood disorders. So I felt that those online groups were really, really good. And, you know, you can, you can do audio only, you know, you can use a different name, you can, your anonymity can be protected if you want it to be, or you you can show yourself and use your real name if you don't care. I mean, they say, you know, everything that stays in the group doesn't get repeated. You know, you never know what people are going to do. But so I would say that is a good one. Um, as far as books, kind of one, and I had actually read this book before this all happened, Down Came the Rain by Brooke Shields. She went through a pretty significant postpartum depression, and that was a pretty decent one, but probably the best book was, it was called uh, Understanding Postpartum Psychosis, A Temporary Madness, and it's by a woman named uh, Teresa Twomey. She went through a postpartum psychosis herself, and she she's a lawyer. She's a very you know, highly educated woman who like actually saw herself killing her baby. She didn't. It was all hallucinations. So she kind of told her story and then shared individual stories of many other women who've either firsthand gone through it through it or in one of the cases it was written by the mom of a woman who killed herself due to it. So um, it was incredibly eye-opening to read those stories. And so we see, like you mentioned, Brooke Shields and this lady, we see this happening a lot. And I think part of the reason that maybe our moms don't understand is because I think a lot of it is generational. Maybe back then they didn't 
uh, speak to it. And I think still to this day, like you said, you lied on your questionnaire. I lied on mine. It's so underreported, even by the women going through it, that it's obviously underdiagnosed and undertreated, but it affects so many people that part of me is left wondering, like, what will normalize this and remove the stigma from it? And the other thing is, do you think that being in healthcare not necessarily predisposes you, but maybe the personality type makes it either more likely to happen or more likely to put off treating it because you hear it left and right. There was a nurse in Pittsburgh who everyone keeps saying she was so happy and she was so great. And then she committed suicide because she was a new mom and she couldn't handle it. And it happens left and right. And I feel like I keep seeing it in healthcare more and more. And I just, do you think there's something to that? Do you feel like for you, it made any kind of difference? The fact that you were in healthcare, can you speak to that at all? Before you answer that, I'm just going to jump in and correct you, I think, real quick, Ellen. When you say she killed herself because she just couldn't handle it, I think that's part of what's wrong with the way that we're framing this conversation is we're saying she couldn't handle it. She had an illness that she didn't get treated. Like her feelings, how they took over her and she couldn't handle it by herself. She needed to reach out. I don't mean she couldn't handle being a mom. I know. No, but I just think that we, we do say those things, though. And I'm not trying to pick on you at all. I'm just saying that you know, I feel like we really kind of sometimes frame the conversation of like, oh, she's just having a rough time as a new mom and, and it'll pass and stuff like that. And and really, this is this is more than the baby blues. This is an illness that people need to seek treatment for. And it's not that you can't handle it and you're not doing a good job. It's that you have a problem just like if you had influenza, you'd go to the doctor and get some medicine for it. And so there's nothing wrong with seeking treatment. That's all I wanted to say. Yeah, I agree. And like, speak to that, you know, what would remove the stigma, at least in healthcare? I mean, we are in healthcare, like we treat people, like you just said, with things like the flu, like you said, people go get treatment for the flu, or I mean, like, sexually transmitted things. And there's no, I mean, there's a stigma there, but people still go get help for it. But for some reason with this, especially people may look at us and say, well, how could you be a CRNA and not realize you had a problem? And I feel like it comes across so judgy and mean, but what would help that? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question, because I, I honestly think um, after kind of I've met some other quite a few other women who've gone through this as well. And I not all of them are in healthcare, but I think what a lot of women who have who struggle are they tend to be type A, they tend to have underlying anxiety. And I think I think those kinds of people, you see that in healthcare a lot, you see type A people. And I think we just feel this intense need for to have perfection in our lives. It's so difficult when things don't go quite right, where another person would just be like, let it roll off their back. And they might be, just be like, whatever, you know, baby didn't nap well today. Oh, well, it's okay. You know, everything's still good. But like, I just, I just couldn't, I just couldn't deal with it. And yeah, I think being in healthcare almost makes it worse because I mean, your job is just a little more high stress. Um, it's harder to find the time to deal with it. I don't think that being in healthcare makes you understand it better because I mean, my, my, my specialty wasn't in psychiatric, you know, I mean, I, in the OR, so it's not like I knew everything about men- mental illnesses. I, I, I didn't at all. And so I think it's just something that most people aren't taught about and it's mental illness just confounds people so much because it's you can't you can't really see it it's not tangible like you can't like you know okay you're diabetic you'll check a blood sugar and it's high okay but for someone who's depressed I mean yeah they can say that they have these feelings or whatever but there's no like test yeah and it's easy to lie on the questionnaire like you said I mean it's easy to say it's not a big deal well, yeah, because you can't lie. Uh, you you, yeah. pr- you prick your finger, you get a sample. I mean, they, you can't lie about that. You can't lie about having a heart attack. I mean, you know, things like that. People can understand that. They can't, they can't wrap their minds around something that they can't see. And I think... Very well stated. And I think that's the problem with all mental illnesses. But then I think, you know, people will just think, gosh, you know being a new mom, you're just supposed to be so happy. And it's just so wonderful having a baby. And it is. But then, I don't know, you know, there's just a, just the hormones, they just, they just are different in people who have this problem. And 
it's just so hard to get around the home to beat those hormones it's so hard the mind and the chemicals in the mind are so powerful because i remember visions and at the moment i mean like thinking back now i'm like god how did i not seek help for something like saying this out loud now i'm like clearly there was a problem but oh yeah i had visions of driving my car into other cars on oncoming traffic so did i and like i when i would walk holding my baby off of my staircase i had visions of like dropping him over the staircase like repeated visions and i just thought oh this must be normal this is just my hormones regulating it it must be that placenta that came out like Mm -hmm. and we're like you said we're in healthcare and lacy and i were talking about this earlier and we joked about this on the previous podcast how she had a baby at home, quote unquote, by accident, people were like, (laughs) well, what's wrong with you? You're a CRNA. How could you not know you're having a baby? You know, but if you've never been through it, you didn't know. How would you know? Yeah. It's not like we don't work labor and delivery. Like there's specialized areas of healthcare, you know, we're not experts on everything. And even if you do, it's probably much different when it happens to you than when it's a patient you're treating. Uh, Yes, it is. Yeah. Can I ask you, you had mentioned that those inpatient facilities are reserved for you know, more severe presentations. Is there something you can delineate between a more moderate versus a severe versus I need to get inpatient or I could just wait to see my OB? Yeah, I, you know, I, I kind of think the main thing is if you are having incredibly persistent and pervasive intrusive thoughts, then I think people who are having those need a higher level of treatment because it seems like A lot of women I've talked to who've been to an inpatient area, they had like, oh my gosh, you know, I didn't want to be mom. I I wanted, I thought I was going to kill myself or kill the baby. Like, and a lot of it, some of it was recognized by their family members. Some of it was recognized by them. And, and, And also I think another thing too is, is your level of functionality. I mean, if you are not able to function throughout the day, and you can't care for yourself or anybody else, then you need something more advanced. Can you talk about what a pervasive or an intrusive thought is? What qualifies as that? I would say like wanting, thinking about harming yourself, not just one time, okay, you know, but like throughout the day, every day, you know, not wanting to have, not wanting to have your baby anymore, not wanting to be a mom, not wanting to live, repeatedly having thoughts that thinking of different ways you could kill your baby, like things like that, that if left untreated could actually lead you to do those things. Okay. I definitely want you to mention any inpatient facilities around the country that you know of that would be good maybe at the end of this so that we could put those in the show notes. But aside from inpatient treatment and outpatient treatment we've talked about, do you or or do you know anybody who has any kind of experience, and I'm asking this because this will lead us into our next podcast also, any experience with ketamine treatment for this or ECT therapy? Mm. So um, ECT therapy is something that is fairly common in some of the inpatient units because a lot of women that go to these places have failed multiple antidepressants. That's usually when they consider it, when they've tried, you know, at least several different types of antidepressants and it's been months and nothing's worked. ECT therapy is is fairly common. Ketamine, I have not specifically heard of, but I have heard of, there's a new drug. Let me see if I can find what it is. I should have looked it up. There's an IV drug that they it's still in the experimental phase i'm i think it is a type basically based off of or actually a type of hormone and it's given at an incredibly slow rate over i think like 60 hours and they can do that in um in the inpatient areas and it can help tremendously but i believe it's only approved for if you have major depressive disorder if you have any type of psychosis you don't qualify it's called uh Brenex, Brenex alone. Yeah, um, might be that one. The right? Resso. 
um, was just was recently one of them that were recently approved. I think it was just approved year. within the year. Yeah. Yeah, it was approved in it said March. I just just fact checked it, and uh, it is like over sixty hours that like so you have to be admitted, and then like so there are barriers to treatment for that because then now you're taking people out of their homes again, and so yeah, it'd be great it's if very it was expensive. A uh, yes, I I knew one woman who got it, and she somehow qualified for a, I don't know, a grant or something. So I don't actually think she had to pay for it, but it tremendous it helped her tremendously. I mean, within a few days, it was her mood was. I mean, she said it just made a world of difference to her. Does insurance cover these stays? Um, usually they do. That's At fine. least maybe not a hundred percent, but at least 90% plus. So yes, that is usually the case. I always just feel like if somebody, like you said, if somebody gave me the tools of what to look out for, um, of what to connect to, maybe it would have made a difference because, you know, you hear about the baby blues and I remember I texted maybe five of my friends who had babies and I said, what is this? Is this the baby blues? And they were like, oh, you're fine. It'll go away. It's just the baby blues. And I remember thinking to myself, people really go through this. Everybody goes through this. Why didn't anybody warn me? This is like what our episode was the first episode we did, I think, where things people don't tell you. Nobody warned me about this. I'm like, there's no way this is normal. And I feel like, did you guys, before you left uh, the postpartum unit, like after having a baby, did you have to watch that uh, video called like purple crying or something? Yes. Yes. I don't think I did. I think it's a national initiative now. Yeah. Um, Maybe your daughter was, she's too old. (laughs) Maybe it came out recently in the past three or four years. It's this thing basically about like babies and crying and um, purple crying and breath holding and how not to hurt your baby and all that. But I feel like there should be a national initiative before you leave the hospital of them to hand you, they hand you so much information about lactation support, which is great. And I don't want to take away from that, but we are going away from care for the mom. And so I think it would be amazing if they also handed you resources of at least where do you turn first when you have a problem, like an algorithm of some sort and make you watch a video on here are the warning signs when something is wrong and you need to reach out because not one person talked to me about postpartum depression or anxiety or even differentiating between that and the baby blues Mm -mm. or leaving the hospital. Not one person. my in like in my you know big packet of discharge instructions there was maybe a little blurb about baby blues but i don't think it i don't think it resources and certainly nobody actually talked to me about it i mean yeah i i feel like i didn't even get that much info about lactation stuff like i honestly i don't know i was a little bit disappointed with my with uh, my baby i just i did not feel like they gave me good resources for that at all I didn't have any either. If scrub caps and sippy cups can one day lead some kind of national initiative for postpartum and perinatal mood disorders, I think my life would be complete. Like, I think that is my calling on earth is to improve Mm -hmm. something on this earth. And that is what I feel tied to. I feel like as, as a nation, I feel like we as women are simply vessels to bring children into the world. I was literally and... just thinking that. Literally just, <laughs> except I was thinking shell. We are just the shell to like carry the yeah. babies. That's all they care about. Yeah, it's yeah. like we are just there to deliver a baby and then nobody cares about us. We don't see a doctor for, yeah, we're the stork. We don't see a doctor for six weeks. I mean, there's like our postpartum mortality is increasing in this country when everyone else is going down and it's not just related to perinatal mood issues it's related to every postpartum issue that can have blood clots and um emboli and yes well and i think the other big issue too in this country compared to other first world countries is what we get for maternity leave. Um, Preach, I, girl. Preach. I know I know someone who's expecting a baby in um, Spain next year, and she will get six months paid maternity leave plus another six months that's unpaid, but her job's protected. So it's protected for a whole oh. year. And her husband gets 12 weeks paid paternity leave. 
I got 12 weeks that my job was protected, but I couldn't even cover 12 weeks with my PTO. Yeah. I feel like that might be part of what goes into a lot of the stress for moms. Like I found myself worrying about that before I even had the dang baby. Oh, I know. I I kept, I would weekly, I would calculate like, I would be like, okay, this is how many hours I need. Like I calculated it weekly and it, I mean, looking back on it, it's like, oh my God, like I didn't need to be that way. Like we weren't hurting for money that bad. Like, but I just felt like I, I still need to be making my money and I can't just be mm-hmm. sitting. Well, there's so many unknowns when you have a baby and you're like, I don't know how big this hospital bill is going to be. I don't know what kind of unexpected expenses we're going to run into. So you're just like more acutely aware of your finances to begin with. And then you end up like trying to do everything you can to make sure you're covered in this. And the unknown, like you said, is just overwhelming. I remember with my second baby, I fell down the stairs and broke my knee. And like I say, jokingly, (laughs) but I'm so happy I did. I'm like, oh, thank God, because I got an extended maternity leave. And I was like, well, (laughs) shit, had I known that earlier, I would have just fallen down the stairs. stairs. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, it's sad to think that, but like a traumatic knee injury like that. And I was, I mean, obviously in pain and in um, whatever, some brace or something for weeks and weeks and just unhappy. But in the long run, I was like, well, damn, if I didn't have that, I would have had to go on back to work and leave my baby, which is so yeah. unnatural. It's crazy that that I mean, that is where I got to in my mind. I'm like, oh, well, you know, I'll just break a knee. I mean, it's so wrong. Our country is so messed up and, you know, maternal care. And it's just, yeah, you know, you just send the mom home with a baby with who doesn't really come with instructions and every baby's different and nobody checks on the mom. It's all about, oh, the baby, the baby, you know, yeah, it's so true. I definitely want to, before we totally wrap up, before we ask our questions, we ask everybody, I definitely want you to tell us about any inpatient facilities around the country that you know, so that some people can at least, you know, have that as a resource to share with friends, because I know our CRNA mom group has helped several women lately who either themselves or had a friend who needed like emergent help have had them get access to one place. So I'll let you take that and just tell us anything you know, because at least they can go from there. So it's very sad. There's only a handful of actual specific perinatal inpatient units in the country. And really the only one and the premier one in the country is UNC Chapel Hill in uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And it's 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 completely separate from the other psychiatric units whereas there's i think there's a few other ones in the country i'm not entirely sure that have like maybe a tiny little portion of the whole unit is dedicated to perinatal patients but they they have to kind of interact with the entire unit and so really in our whole country there's only really one now as far as outpatient goes I'm pretty sure throughout the country, there's multiple in every state. I don't know exactly for sure. There's also a um, postpartum resource center of New York that I believe is in the New York City area. And it was founded by a woman who had a sister who went through a postpartum psychosis. And they are, I think they're a pretty recent thing that started within the last few years. But um, I don't know a lot of specifics about it, but I have heard about it. Um, So, uh, you know, sadly, that's, you know, another problem in our country is that's the resources we have for actual inpatient treatment. Do you know of a, like, helpline or a call-in? You gave the online uh, support group, but is there a helpline that people can call? So through PSI, they have a PSI helpline. I believe you can access it in either English or Spanish, and you can call that anytime. Do you know how to reach there? Like what the number is? Yeah. And ladies, we're going to put all this stuff in the show notes also. 1-800-944-4773. And also in the show notes, we will put, as usual, um, I know there's different moms now from different areas of healthcare that listen to this, but for the CRNAs on here, the ANA has uh, suicide and depression resources as well. So we will list those as well, although they're not specialized, but anything is better than nothing. Lacey, do you want to send Chloe any of our questions we ask everybody just to make things a little more fun? Okay. So what is your mom hack? That was one of our questions. What is your favorite mom hack? Hmm. 
<laughs> my my toddler has had like a bazillion colds since she started school. So I guess mm -hmm. I I keep boogie wipes and like every, <laughs> I mean, in every room yes. in the house and in the car, especially because like we'll get to school. I go to take her out of her car seat and she's got boogers smeared all over her face. So yeah. I have a little, oh, yeah. one of those little travel packs of boogie wipes. She and, probably matches every other kid there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for real. And I have some in my purse. So I guess that, I don't know. And then our other question is, what are you binging on like Netflix or reading right now? I watched um, Working Moms. Oh, that's good. That's a good that's one. Good. I figured you guys had heard of it. So um, <laughs> yeah, that one was really good. Um, yeah, I, rem I watched the first season like super, super fast when I was on maternity leave. I was like, this show was, I mean, I laughed out loud so many times. Yeah, me too. So, yeah, so relatable. That, that one's a really good one. As far as books... I don't know if you, any of you have read The Silent Patient. No, uh, no, I haven't read it, I but I feel like so. I heard that recently. It's it's like um, a woman kills her husband and then she just won't talk for years. It sounds like an episode of Snapped. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really interesting. I mean, if you like kind of like, well, it's a little bit suspenseful, like, yeah, did she really kill him? What really happened? All those things. It was it was good. I, I think I, I was watching um Jimmy Fallon and he recommended it. So as we wrap things up here, what is your take home message for our listeners at the end of this conversation? I really would encourage anyone who feels like they're struggling, especially if it's goes beyond, you know, a couple weeks postpartum, if it goes into months and if you're really not sleeping if you really are struggling just to do simple tasks, like you need, you need to reach out to somebody and you need to get help because if you don't, things can get pretty ugly and you could end up committing suicide. You could kill your baby. You could, I mean, it's just a lot of different things that could go wrong. And I think a lot of most things can be prevented if help is sought earlier rather than later. Well, thank you so much, Chloe, for sharing your experiences and telling your story. It's, uh, it takes a lot of courage to come on here and do that. And we applaud you because it's something that we don't talk about enough in our society. We're going to change that. Yeah. <laughs> Alan's going to spearhead yes, it. Yes, <laughs> I do too. I mean, yeah. I would quit yeah. my full-time job. Yeah, me to too. Just spearhead this. If uh, I could just too. find a way to get paid. Like Tanya said, <laughs> like sh share the shit. You got to hashtag share the shit. Not the yes. not the highlight reel. Exactly. The highlight reel is what makes other moms feel bad. So don't <laughs> do that to people. Share mm -hmm. the shit. So guys, don't forget to please, please subscribe to us on your podcast players scrub caps and sippy cups and we want you to subscribe to us on instagram at hey smart mamas and like us on facebook and that is also scrub caps and sippy cups we want you to like us we want you to stalk us we want you to subscribe to us we want you to share us with all of your friends and family rate and review us and please guys engage with us tell us what you want to hear tell us if we're doing a good job or if we are just boring you to tears and tell us any topic any person you want to talk to and share stories with us because we would love to highlight it on here we want you guys to engage we want this to be for you and we want to make a difference and we think that today's episode will definitely make a difference for people so look to those show notes Lacey does an awesome job making those for us every time and she will put down all the resources share them with your girlfriends be that support system for them because had all of us had that we probably would have utilized them so thanks for hopping on here Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, Chloe. Thank you. Thank you.